James 3, verses 1 and 6. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole bo- the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue and excuse me, and the tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. This passage, James says, that if anyone is able to tame his tongue, it's a perfect man. The people go around trying to tame their tongue. I control my tongue. But there's something much deeper to all of this. The tongue is so set among our members that defiles the whole body. And sets on fire the course of nature. The natural man. How is this work? How does this work? We think of the words of Jesus, which says, out of abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The tongue represents what's inside of a person. And it's a measure what's going on inside. And if a, if a tongue is let to do its natural thing, it says it will defile us. Because Jesus said the things not that go into a person defile him, but the things that come out of him, because they come from his heart. And they come out of his mouth. He says, these are the things that defile man, the things that are in a person's heart. It goes from the tongue straight down into the heart. And Jesus points man's problem to be the heart. And it's voiced by the tongue, but it's the condition of the heart that it's voicing, the tongue is voicing. And so that's why James says, if we don't stumble in word, he's a perfect man. But he says right before that, we all stumble in many things. We do stumble with our tongue because sometimes we allow our nature to influence us and to steer us. He talks about a horse, that big muscular horse. How does man control him when he's riding him to go this way or that way? They put a little thing in the mouth called a bit. It's attached to the reins, and you pull on it, and if the horse doesn't go the way it's pulled, it'll hurt his tongue. 
So he goes whichever way that little bit pulls him. So that's how you control that big muscular animal by that little bit. And he says that there's a big, you see some of those big ships, those big ocean liners, and all of these, even, even today's ships, they still are controlled by a rudder, that little thing at the back of the ship that it turns one way or the other and it steers the ship this way or that way in the water. And <clears throat> it's a very small component of the whole ship, this gigantic ships. He says, but it steers the whole thing. It controls it. And so, James compares that to this, the tongue. Because the tongue reveals to us and allows to come forth the things that are in it, in the heart. And either, either they will defile us or they won't. And that's why he says we have to bridle the whole body. And he says that the tongue is set among the members of our body that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. By the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it goes on to say, no man can tame the tongue. Well, if no man can tame the tongue, then we're, then it's, we're all going to be defiled, right? This is why Jesus came. To set us free, not only from our tongue, but the thing that is controlling the tongue. hearts, our spirit, to deliver us from the course of nature, to deliver us from the control of Satan, from hell, from the flesh. The course of nature is the flesh. We cannot tame that. We must come to Christ. We must come to him and allow him to do that work of sanctification in our hearts to change us. And if we're changed on the inside, as Jesus said, change first, <coughs> clean first the inside of the cup. He's talking about religious people who are cleaning out the outside of the cup and the dish and everything. So, but inside is all kinds of corruption and extortion of all kinds. He said, first clean the inside. And then behold, all things will become clean to you. We must be cleansed on the inside by the blood of Jesus. And then we'll be freed from the course of nature we will be able to bridle our tongues and control it. And it will prevent us from being defiled the way we normally would in the world. And we have experienced, many of us have experienced that. And we know that it's true. That the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our former way of life, from our, from our, from our sins. Continue where it says, speaking in verse 9, with it, the tongue, we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. 
My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine both figs? Bear figs. Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. <clears throat> salt water is not drinkable, fresh is. Out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing, he says. Out of the same mouth comes spiritual things and carnal things. He says it shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't be having one foot in the spirit, one foot in the flesh. One foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the world. We need to change. We need to have the work of the Spirit done inside of us to cleanse us and to guide us, to follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit into this process of holiness and sanctification, this process that God intends to bring us through. And he goes on in verse 13, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish, or demonic. This is a very important thing that's being said here. Because sometimes we don't realize that we're being motivated by, he says here, self-seeking. In other translations, says selfish ambitions. Our own will. We can mix the will of God with our own will. And what you have is confusion. Bitter envy, bitterness, envy in our hearts, self-seeking. That is the course of nature. That is the natural man. And it is at war with the spirit. The flesh lusts against the spirit. The spirit against its flesh. It says in the King James Version, Romans. It goes on in verse 16 to say, where envy and self-seeking exist, or selfish ambition, there is confusion in every evil work, every evil thing. Confusion. Not spiritual vision, not, un, not being able to walk with God the way we should. Confusion. What in the world is going on here? You know, what is God doing? Why isn't God helping? Why is this? Why is that? Confusion. In other places it says God is not the author of confusion. Confusion does not come from God. Confusion comes from listening to the flesh and the spirit. Being pulled in two different directions. That's where the confusion is.
verse 17, but the wisdom from the above is pure, peaceful, gentle, willing to yield. Not the chip on the shoulder, not in your face, not confrontational, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality and hypocrisy. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. <coughs> Walking in the Spirit. I mean, this is all talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. But if we're walking in the flesh and the Spirit, we have confusion. That's what it is. We have evil work going on there. Confusion and every evil work. If we're, self, if we're motivated by selfish ambitions, this isn't from God. You don't deceive yourself. This is not from God. It's earthly. It's to please the senses. Being influenced by the evil. By the world. <clears throat> so we have to take account of ourselves. Are we being led by the Spirit? The Bible says in the, Gospel, in the book of Romans, as many who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. So we're being led by the Spirit, but are we being led by the world too? We're being led by the flesh. We're being led by the enemy too. We're being influenced by it. Of course, if you could visualize what that is, there's one word that clearly describes that. Confusion. Confusion. Walking in two different ways of life at the same time. Now, how can that be? Two contradictory, <coughs> two opposite ways of life at the same time. <clears throat> in chapter 4 and verse 1 it says, Where does war and fighting come from among you? Do they not come from your desires that war in your members? Something wrong inside. Fighting and arguing. In families, in marriages, in churches, in workplaces, in business, on vacations, in neighborhoods. Fighting and arguing. Where does it come from? He says it comes from in here. Evil things in here. And if we find ourselves being contentious and worldly and everything else, we need to come to Christ and find out what's wrong. Jesus said, come to me. I, there needs to be changes in my life. I need to retrace my steps. Where did I go wrong? <clears throat> I remember one time somebody sent me a cartoon of Charlie Brown. And, and Charlie Brown was talking and he says, <clears throat> I asked my, I was laying in bed one night and I asked myself, where, did, where have I gone wrong? And he said, a voice came to him and said, this is going to take more than one night. <laughs> so in, in, in saying that, that the changes need to happen, the decision needs to be done all at once, but the changes don't always happen all at once. 
But there needs to be the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The Bible tells us to pursue peace with all men and to pursue holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. The pursuit of holiness. The pursuit of the leading of the Holy Spirit. To pursue His separating us. To follow His leading. Because, frankly, I think we've all found ourselves in this spot of confusion at one time or another in our life, and maybe that's where we are right now. But frankly, if we're in confusion, this is not a reason to despair. This is a neat reason to come to the Lord and the Lord to show us, you know, and to change our, the areas of our life where we're following our own will. Areas of our life where we need to lay down our own will. We're being led by our own flesh. It's not strange or unusual if we find ourselves in that place. I think every Christian has to go through that process of finding that we have straight. And that we have to, we're not walking in the spirit in this area or that area. I'm being argumentative, I'm being strifeful, I'm being harsh, I'm being unloving in my heart. And the Holy Spirit doesn't condemn us for it. He brings conviction into our life. You have to change. This is not the way of Christ. You must change and, uh, and come to me and I will change you. You cannot control your tongue. You can't tame your tongue. But I can, the Lord says. Come to me and I will make in you the necessary changes. <clears throat> Open up your heart and your mouth. Come to me, Jesus said. Learn from me. Follow me. Coming to Jesus is not something we do once. It's not we come to him and we, we ask him to save us and that's the end of it. That's the beginning. We should be coming to the Lord continually. And continually seeking his help and to be confessing and and seeking and asking and believing. Above all things, believing. Verse 3 says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss or with wrong motives. And you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Separation from God. When we walk in the way of the world, in the way of the flesh, it says refers to us as adulterers and adulteresses. We are married to Christ, not the world. We have been called out of the world to walk with Christ. Not the way of the world, not the ideas and the philosophies and ideologies of the world. 
to walk with Christ and to, and to believe on Christ. Put our hope in Him. And he refers to us in a spiritual sense as adulterers and adulteresses. To have friendship with the world. Not to be friends with people of the world and to reach out to people of the world, but to have friendship with the world system, to walk in the way of the world. And he says, to be, to have friendship with the world system is to be at enmity or separation with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's what holiness, where holiness means, separation. Separation from the world, separation from the way of the world, separation from the thinking of this world, and the, and the separation from the influence of Satan. Separation from the way the world lives, the way they think. In verse 5, or do you think the scripture says in vain, the spirit who lives in us yearns jealously. God is a jealous God. He does not approve and does not want us. It grieves him when we're walking in the way of the world, when we're walking in our own carnal reasoning, when we're walking in the way of the flesh, when we're not trusting him, it is grievous to him. God is a jealous God. He's still a jealous God, not just in the old covenant, he's still a jealous God in the new covenant too. <clears throat> Verse 6, but he gives more grace, but he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. And draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-minded. Confusion, as we were talking about earlier. Out of the same mouth comes fresh water and bitter. Sweet water and bitter water. Double-minded. He says, Purify your hearts, you double-minded. There needs to be a work of the heart done. But we're not half in the world and half in, in, in the spirit. we got to cleanse, purify our hearts by coming to Christ and allowing Him to change us, to do the purification, the sanctification work that's necessary. Lord, I see I'm wrong here. I'm not living right here. Help me. Change me. Help me to walk in your spirit. Help me to stop listening to the flesh. Help me to be strong. Fill me with your spirit. Come to him. Don't just accept well, that's just the way I am. Or that's just what I do. No. No, that's what we do naturally. The course of nature. We're called away from to walk in our course of our natural man course of nature. But we must humble ourselves and lay down our will. Because that's where 95% of the problem is. Is laying down our own will. But I want this. I want it to be this way. I would like that. I envision this. This is what I always hoped for. What's God's will? That's why it says God resists the proud. If we're holding on to our own will, he's going to resist you. 
but he gives grace to the humble. Those of us who humble ourselves under the lordship of Jesus. His will, not my will, be done. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. But we must draw near to God with this humility. He gives grace to the humble. He'll receive us in you in our humility, not in our pride. We must humble ourselves, put away our pride. We can't humble ourselves with that with holding on to our pride. They're opposites. Can't do both. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Repent of things that were sinning. Many times we have Christians have said, I feel like God is far away from me. Have you ever said that? Sure. Sure, we have all, I think at one time, never experienced feeling far away from God. Where We felt close to God at some point. But, you know, well, right now I feel far away from God. As well, we have to put ourselves in a place. There's something we have to do to draw near to God. We have to humble ourselves. And then we have to come to Him. And He says if we draw near to Him, and everything that means, He will draw near to us. Draw near to Him in His way, not in our own way. Draw to Him, near to Him in His way. So from there we go to chapter 5 of Genesis. James 5, 7. Therefore, be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and later rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. You know, Jesus talks about it in a parable, something similar to this, when he says, the kingdom of God is like a man who goes out and plants seed in the field. And he says, he puts the seed in the field, and he says, he doesn't know how it grows. Just one day, it shows up, first a little blade, and then it gets bigger, a stalk, and then it puts forth the head, the seed head, and then it opens up the full head of grain. And then the grain ripens, and then comes the harvest. He said, that's the way the kingdom of God is. The farmer has to wait patiently for it. The day he plants a seed, it's not the day he has the harvest. It's not the day of harvest. And that's the point that's made here about being patient. And he says, establish your hearts, waiting for the precious fruit. The things that we hope for. Faith is the evidence of the things that... Faith is the substance of the things that we hope for. The evidence of the things that we don't yet see. That's faith. That's real faith. 
Sometimes we don't walk that way. We walk by sight. Things look good. We're praising the Lord. We're thanking God. Yahoo! Isn't this great? Isn't this life great? Things are bad. Things aren't going right. Things are looking dark. And we're dark. That is not living by faith. That is living by sight and by sound and by feel. By the senses. That's sensual. That's sensual. That's not faith. That's not spiritual. That's sensual. We live by what we see. That's sensual. We live by what we hear. That's sensual. That's the senses. That's not the spirit. That's not faith. That's not living by faith. One, two, three times he mentions in that in for verses seven to nine about being patient. Follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The patience comes is because when we pray, we don't see things happen right away most of the time. Although we have at times, most of the time that's not the way it is. The Bible says God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. Why? Because they don't have a lot of resources. They have to trust God. If you live in a mountain out in Timbuktu, and there's no helicopters that will reach you, when someone is, is sick, you can't rush them to a hospital. There's no hospital. You have to have faith, and you have to grow in faith. You have to. Why that verse is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, the rich man has so many resources, he doesn't look to God. Mm-hmm. So why do so many Christians pursue resources? <laughs> why do we have preachers on TV telling you God wants you to be rich and have all, and your children to be heads of corporations and, uh, and you to all, have the biggest mansion in town and everything? That's and, part of the business. Well... I remember being in a church where Kate and I got married where they decided to have uh, the, the Bible study at the biggest house in the congregation because as the, pa- the pastor said, uh, he wanted everybody in the congregation to see what God's going to do for them or what God can do for them. Why is it? It's because it's the course of the natural man. That's what the natural man wants. If you don't believe it, just take a look Look at the world around you. What people will do to get that big house and that big paycheck. They'll break the law, they'll cheat, they'll steal, they'll do anything and everything to get those things because it's a course of nature. verse 10 we read this my brothers take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience indeed we count them blessed to endure you have heard of the patience or perseverance of Job 
and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. One of the signs of the last times is that Jesus said that because wickedness would abound, that the love of many would grow cold. Many would turn away from the Lord because of the wickedness that they're surrounded by. They don't see this. They don't see the mercy and compassion of the Lord. Take the, the example of Job and David and Daniel and all their prophets, Jeremiah, the suffering and the hardships and the patience that they exhibited. As an example to us, these are men of great faith, and yet such things they had to endure. Jeremiah was a great prophet of God. God spoke to him, through him. I mean, read the book of Jeremiah. There's a lot of prophecy in there. God was speaking through that man. Would they do that man? They lowered him into a rope, by a rope, into a sewer. And he prayed to God. He said he was sinking in the mire. In the mire. And God delivered him. Daniel was thrown to a lion's den. <coughs> His friends were thrown into a furnace of fire. And it just goes on and on. I would much rather Ze a lion's den. Zechariah was sawn in half by the servants of Manasseh, king of Judah. And others, it says, wandered in caves. And suffered many things. That's an example to us. Being a man and woman of God is not the promise of a hunky-dory life. There's going to be trouble. In this world you will have tribulation. This is the words of the Lord. In this world you will have trouble. You will have adversity. You will be tried and tested. Our faith will be tested, as Peter said. James says. We count them blessed to endure. And it talks about Job. And he says, when you look at the story of Job, he says, you have to look at the end of it. See what God had intended through this whole thing. His wife told him to curse God and die. He said, should we receive good from the Lord? And not this adversity? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And it says in all of the horror that Job went through, he did not speak against God. And all the evil things that he had to endure, he did not speak against God. He did not curse God. Like his wife told him to. And at the end of it, he was rewarded. And that's the message. Look at the end of the life of Job. Look at everything that happened and look at the end. Because that's what God intended as a message to us that we are going to have to go in this life through various adversities. But we have to be patient, it says here. The patience of Job. The patience of the prophets. The patience of the farmer. You have to look to the harvest. You have to look to the end of the story. You have to look that God will in his time help us. 
Apostle Paul talked about such adversity that they despaired of life. He said, but God delivered us. We trust that he's still delivering us. And that in the future he will deliver us. Living by faith. And so we move on. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, he'll be forgiven. Confess your sins or your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails or produces much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. Prayer of faith. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man produces much. That's a statement that you have to look at closely. The effective prayer. That means we can pray in a way that's ineffective. The, earlier in chapter 1 of the book of James, it says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Gives liberally. But let him ask in faith. He says, if he doesn't ask in faith, he says, don't let that man think he's going to receive anything from God. We must believe God in prayer. We must pray in a way that's effective. Because <clears throat> sometimes we've prayed in ways that are ineffective. Maybe that's what we're doing now. The prayer of faith. Fervent prayer. The word fervent is used by Peter to talk about the elements at the day when God destroys the world of the universe with fire. It says the elements are going to melt with fervent heat. Fervent speaks of energy, pursuit, hot, fervent, on fire. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man. We are righteous in Christ. Now, if we walk away from the Lord, we're walk back walking in the flesh. The Bible says that if I if I Iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear you. How's it go? If I consider regard, regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. That's what David said. We must walk with the Lord. If we're not walking right, we confess our sins to the Lord. As it says here, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another. 
confess to the Lord. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. To be in that right standing with God. Be walking with the Lord. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man will produce a lot. A lot. When we think of the word, when we think of fervent prayer, it says in Hebrews chapter 11 that we must believe that God will reward those who diligently seek Him. Fervent, diligent. In other words, we are going after it. We're diligent. We're keeping after it. We're not lazy. We're not careless about it. We're seeking God. And we're pursuing pursuing God concerning His promises. We're pursuing Him in faith. This is not a lazy and careless endeavor. This is not meant for the faint-hearted. This is meant for those who believe God. And we must put that belief to work. To live by what we believe. But effective, fervent, diligent prayer of the righteous man and woman produces a lot. And then he takes the prophet Elijah as our example. Because, oh, Elijah, he was one of the greatest prophets of God. Can't compare myself to him. If you read the story of Elijah, you see that Elijah had his faults. He had his weaknesses. He had great peaks. But then he had his valleys. He was a man who wrestled with his human nature just like us. It says he has a human nature here just like we did. We do. And he struggled with his human nature like we do. Jezebel threatened him. And he ran like a a beaten dog with his tail between his legs, and he ran and whimpered and said, God, take me, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. That queen threatened, Jezebel threatened me. She was going to kill me, I'm done. And he ran. And he kept on running, and he kept on running, until he ended up at Mount Horeb, Sinai. God said to him, what are you doing here? He said, you go back. It's like, I got work for you to go back where you ran from. Yeah, he was a man just like us. A woman just like him. Yep. And yet, in spite of his struggles, he was also a man of faith. And God did great things through. You look at the great things that God did through Elijah. Some of the greatest miracles of the Bible were done by the prophet Elijah. <coughs> and yet you see that there were times where all of a sudden his faith vanished. Happened to David too, didn't it? He kills Goliath. He does great things, great man of faith. And then he goes and joins the, you know, goes and joins up and hides in the land of the Philistines. You know? 
men of God, women of God, have to fight through their unbelief. They have to fight through the course of nature, as James puts it. To have to fight through those things and follow, walk in the Spirit. And it finishes up by saying, Brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. This is about, not about the unbeliever. This is about the brother or sister who's gone away from the Lord. He says, Brethren, there's one among you. You who are Christians, brothers, if there's someone among you who wanders from the truth and you turn him back, you're saving his soul from death. There's a lot that God can do through us if we walk by faith. When we see a brother or sister wander from the truth, do we write them off? Ah, we'll see what happens, whether they come back. And we pray for them and pray for God to use us in that person's life and seek opportunity from the Lord's leading. Don't give up. God hasn't given up on them. Don't give up on them. The prodigal son is about a son who wanders away. A son who goes into a far country. Not a stranger, but a son. Backslider. Went away. Got to repent, come back. We can be part of that process. Any brothers uh, want to comment on what we talked about today? The book of James.